Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. To give you a little bit of context of what exactly is going on, we're not going to read all of the verses, but to go back to chapter number 3, and you can read this for yourself later, the context is that Peter and John are going to the temple at the hour of prayer. There was a time for prayer, and John and Peter are going over there. As they go, they pass through one of the the gates that is there that leads to the temple, the, the gate that is called Beautiful. And as they pass by the gate, there is a man that is on the side that is crippled. He's been crippled since birth. And every single day, his family would take him over to the temple area. He would beg for money. And at the end of the day, he would be taken back home. And the Bible says that he was 40 years old. So for 40 years, he has not been able to walk. For 40 years, he's been essentially, almost all of those 40 years, begging. He couldn't work and he couldn't walk, so he's begging every single day. Peter, on this particular day, goes by and he sees the man, and by the power of God, he is healed. And he takes the hand of the man that has been crippled and he lifts him up and he gets up on the power of his own two feet. And the Bible says that he is walking and leaping and praising God. You can imagine how much joy has filled this man's heart because for 40 years he couldn't walk. And suddenly, unexpectedly, he is able to walk. So imagine what he would do. I can imagine he's just running around everywhere. People are wondering, what does this man do? Don't you realize we're in the temple area? And he's saying, I haven't been able to walk for 40 years. Now I'm able to walk. And you're telling me not to, you know, to calm down. And he's joyful and rejoicing. And everybody's wondering what in the world just happened because he's been there for 40 years every single day. I mean, people would know who this man was. They would recognize him. And they would be like, hey, isn't that the man? that used to be crippled, and they're wondering what exactly happens. And the Bible says that Peter took the opportunity to preach Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, in verse number 18, it says, But those things which God had before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. So on this day, Peter takes the opportunity to preach the word of God, to preach Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and on that day, 5,000 souls are saved. What a day. What an incredible day. A man is healed, there's an opportunity to preach the gospel, and thousands are saved. Well, as Peter is preaching, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, they find out about what's going on. They don't like what is being preached. And so they take Peter and John and they take them to prison until the next morning to find out, okay, what exactly is going on? And they ask them and Peter says the same thing. He preaches Jesus Christ. Well, they did not like the message that Peter was preaching. And so they said, you need to stop preaching Jesus Christ. And Peter and John basically say, well, whether you you think we should obey you or whether we should obey God, you decide. But I think we're going to do what God says. And they further threatened them before they let them go. So Peter and John have been released now. It's the next day. And so they go back to their company. Who's the company? It's the church. 
So they go back to the church and they share everything that has just happened. He has the, about all the healing and about everything that happened, how they were arrested and what, what the priests and everybody said. And he, and he comes back and you see the verses that we just read about how they prayed so that they would be able to preach the gospel, which is relevant to us because we are also called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our calling, amen? amen. To preach Jesus Christ to tell others about Jesus Christ. But we cannot tell others about Jesus Christ without God. And so we need to have prayer. Today we are going to take a look at prayer. Prayer is asking God. We are asking God to save souls. We are asking God to work in lives. We are asking God to move believers to share the gospel with others. So I want to ask a very simple question. Do you want to see souls saved? Do you want to see souls saved? Do you want to see your friend that's lost to be saved? Do you want to see your coworker that is lost to be saved? Do you want your neighbors to be saved? Do you want your family members? Maybe it's a son. Maybe it's a daughter. Maybe you're married to somebody. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's some, some relative. Do you want to see that person to be saved? If you do, have you been praying for that person to be saved? You know, as I was thinking about this uh, a prayer and seeing people to be saved, I, I was thinking about this passage in Luke chapter number 11. I think we have the verses. In, in verse number 5, Jesus gives a parable. And he says unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is, is, in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. So the situation is maybe something that we might not be so familiar with, but here is a man that unexpectedly receives some guests. Late at night, unexpectedly, some people that he knows comes and he says, oh, I suddenly have guests I wasn't expecting and I don't have any bread to set before them. So he runs over to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door and he says, I need some bread. Can you help me with this? And the man inside says, it's late. I'm in bed already. The kids are put to bed. I, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. That's basically what he's saying. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So the idea is that here is the friend, he comes to the door and he knocks and he says, I need some bread. And the answer he gets is, no, I'm not giving it to you. Well, the friend thinks, well, that's not good enough. I need it now. So he knocks again. And the same answer. He says, I need some bread. And he says, no, it's too late. I, I, I can't get up and I can't give you. And so he says, that's not good enough. And he, he knocks again. And the friend says, go away. And he says, I'm not going away until you give me bread. No answer. Hey, I know you're still in there. Give me bread. And he keeps knocking and knocking and knocking until the friend says, all right, fine. If this will make you go away, what do you need? I'll give you bread. <clears throat> the idea is this man was so desperate 
just to give bread to his guests, that he would persistently knock on the door and not receive the answer of no until he got the answer of yes. Until he saw something to be changed. And the Bible says, and I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And I believe that when it comes to soul winning, we must pray for souls to be saved. We must pray that God would work in believers to share the gospel with others. That God wants to use us. And if you're praying for a lost soul to be saved, God is encouraging us to knock on that door of the Lord Jesus Christ for them to be saved. That is what God wants us to do. That is God's desire. Because if we will see souls saved, God must be the one to save them. Amen? Because I can't save them. And you can't save them. And Bible Baptist Church, we can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. So we ask that Jesus Christ would do the saving. We ask that Jesus Christ would work in believers to share the gospel with others. It's easy to be doing, 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 to be busy, to think about, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that, and we got a fall festival today, and just to be honest, it's been very busy the last few days, just trying to get everything together and all sorts of different things going on. But while we are busy, are we asking God to also be busy on our behalf? Or are we doing the working by ourselves? It's been said, when I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. So are we praying for souls to be saved? These believers certainly did. And I want to see how these believers prayed to God for souls to be saved. First of all, we see that they prayed with passion. In verse number 23, the Bible says, And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. So you see, these uh, 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 Peter and John, they come back to the church, they report all that has been said. And what did the leaders say? They, they questioned the authority. They said, By uh, what authority and by whose name do you do these things? Do you say these things? And of course, they're going to say, Jesus Christ. Amen? We do things in the name of Jesus Christ. All right? We're not doing this in my name. Amen? Amen? We're not doing this in Pastor Choi's name. We're not doing this in the name of Bible Baptist Church. We do what we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what they said as well. Well, they didn't like the answer, and they told them to be silent. They commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Well, they said, well, we're going to keep doing it. And the Bible says that they further threatened them before they let them go. And they all go back to the church. They all report everything that's been said. And the church responded. The Bible says in verse number 24 that they lifted up their voices to God. And when the Bible says that they lifted up their voices to God, I think that you could see the passion in which that they prayed for souls to be saved. The passion with which that they prayed to the Lord. It wasn't a quiet prayer. It was one where they lifted up their voices to the Lord. Now we can see what people in this world are passionate about. People are passionate about sports. Amen? Amen. I know people are passionate about sports because whenever the Dodgers begin winning, fireworks go off in my neighborhood. I don't know why. Sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. Maybe they ran out of fireworks, <laughs> you know, a lot of winning this year. So maybe they ran out of fireworks. But I remember thinking, what is going on? And, and then, it, you know, I put two and two together. Eventually I was like, oh, every time the Dodgers win, somebody lights off a firework. They're passionate about it. Yeah, Dodgers win and a firework goes off, you know. People are passionate about sports. They're passionate about making money. 
by working hard, getting an education, or doing whatever they need to do with their job to get a promotion, to make more money, to make the move up here or over there, or get the perfect job, get all the benefits, get great retirement, all of these sorts of things. Lots of people are passionate about that. Lots of people are passionate about experiences that they might have in life, about traveling here and there, traveling abroad, traveling to new places, seeing new things, trying new restaurants, experiencing new things. And these believers here, they were passionate as well. They weren't passionate about their favorite sports team, though. It wasn't about being able to travel around or being able to make a little bit more money. They didn't lift up their voices because their favorite player hit a home run. They didn't lift up their voices because their team scored a touchdown. They didn't lift up their voices because their stocks just doubled in the last six months. They didn't lift up their voices because they got a huge promotion at their company. They lifted up their voices because they realized that they must continue to preach the gospel so that souls might be saved. That's why they lifted up their voices. And the Bible says that they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. Soul winning is not a passion just for the pastor. Soul winning is a passion for every believer. Every believer. It's a passion, not just for your life connection leader. It's a passion of every believer that wants to see souls to be saved. Soul winning is not just a passion for those Christians over there, or those, those are the faithful ones. Or those. Soul winning is a passion for every believer because the calling of God to see souls to be saved is an important one. It's an important calling. It's a worthy calling. Seeing souls to be saved is worthy of our time. It is worthy of our sacrifice. And it is worthy of our lives. Amen? Amen. It is worthy. It is a worthy calling. And so they prayed to God with passion. But then we see that they prayed to God for power. They prayed with great passion. But then they prayed for power because the disciples prayed to God because they realized that they needed God. Soul winning without God is impossible. See, it doesn't matter how well you can speak, doesn't matter how nice our invitations are, doesn't matter how great our fall festival is today, because we're not an entertainment center. We're not here just to give people an experience. We are here to give people the gospel and to see souls to be saved. And soul winning without God is impossible. What's interesting is we have to know what they did not ask for. So the ruling leaders told them, you cannot speak the name of Jesus anymore. What they did not ask for was for the government order to cease. They did not ask for the persecution to stop. They did not ask for a change in the attitude or a change in policies that would benefit them. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting because that's probably the first thing that would have come to my mind. Here are the government rulers telling us, no. My first reaction would be, God, there's a problem here. Can you get rid of the problem? Can you get the order to go away and disappear? But they didn't pray for that. But that's a natural instinct of believers, right? That's a natural instinct of people. If there's a problem, we pray for the problem to go away. Even Paul, that was his first instinct. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says that he was given a thorn in the flesh. He was given something to buffet him, lest I should be exalted above measure. And the Bible says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He says, God, there's this problem, some sort of physical ailment in his life. And he says, God... I have a problem, it's hindering me, can you get rid of it? 
The Bible says, though, that God responded. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. You know what Paul is saying here? He's not just saying, you know, it's okay for the problem to be here. The Bible says that he took pleasure in these things. He took pleasure in the infirmities and the problems if it came with the power of God. He's saying, bring on the problems, God, if you will give me your power as well. God, if you don't give me your power, I don't want any of these problems. But if you will give me your power, then it's okay that I have all of these infirmities. Because when you have the power of God, it doesn't matter what problem you face. God's power is greater than the hungry lions ready to devour Daniel. Remember in the Old Testament? Daniel's there, thrown into the, the pit of lions, in the den of lions, and the lions are hungry, okay? We found out later they were very hungry. <laughs> but God's power was greater than these lions. God's power was greater than a fiery furnace ready to consume three Hebrew children, thrown into this fiery furnace, and yet God protected them. God's power was greater than a giant soldier from Gath facing off with a little shepherd boy and God's power was greater than the political leader's ability to stop the church because Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. So here are the believers asking for power because they realize it doesn't matter what problem comes, God, if you will give us your power, that is enough. That is enough. We're not asking you to get rid of the problems. We're asking you to give us power. And in fact, the persecution got worse. We know that later, the, the persecution began to intensify. They didn't just arrest them, they began to beat them. Then they began to martyr them. They, then all of the believers began to be scattered. But these believers did not ask for the road to be smoothed out in front of them. They asked God for a more powerful vehicle to go, ever, go, go over whatever terrain they might be facing. And you'll notice the prayer that they had in verse number 24. They prayed for God's power according to the power that he has, God has in creation. When they heard that, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. You would go back to Genesis chapter 1. That's how God created everything. That's how we see how God created everything. You know God created everything in the universe? Amen? Amen. All the stars, all the planets, all the galaxies all the water, all the elements, all the molecules, all the space dust, the asteroids and the comets, everything. God made everything just by talking. He said, let there be light. Boom, here is light. He said, let there be land. Boom, here is land. Let there be the sun, moon, and stars. Boom, there it is. Let there be the plants and let, let there be the animals and, and all of these things. Boom, all of them appeared. That's powerful. Amen? I try to tell people what to do sometimes and nothing happens. <laughs> and God says one thing, boom, in six days, all of the universe is created just by speaking it. That's power. God has great power and these believers are praying according to that power. They prayed also according to the power that was demonstrated in prophecy in verse number 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, 
Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. As they said, they're quoting David. They're quoting Psalms chapter number two. And uh, we won't really read the verses. He's basically quoting him there. But basically what he's saying is, God, you said a long time ago that this would happen. David lived about a thousand years before Jesus Christ. So a thousand years before Christ, God inspired David to pen these words that will be perfectly fulfilled a thousand years later. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems impossible to me. Okay? Think about a thousand years from now. All right? A thousand years from now is the year 3022. Anybody want to make any predictions about what 3022 will be like? Anybody want to make any predictions about who's going to be president? Whether our country will exist? <laughs> what will our planet look like? I mean, does anybody want to take any guesses? I don't think any of us want to make any type of uh, uh, words about what will happen a thousand years from now. We don't know what's going to happen a thousand years from now. And yet, what did God say? God said the rulers would take counsel together against the Lord. And what happened? The Bible says in verse 27, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel, they were gathered together. So here you have Herod and you have Pilate, two different rulers that the Bible says before that day they were enemies. But now they are come together as friends. The Gentiles and the Jews all stood together against Jesus Christ. And God said it would happen a thousand years before. And it says something interesting in verse number 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You know what God is saying here or what the believers are saying about what God has done here? What they're saying is that God, you said it would happen. They thought that they would win by crucifying Jesus Christ. And yet that's exactly what God wanted them to do. Isn't that incredible? That God used their ill intentions to accomplish his will. That he could take something that they thought, all right, what's the worst thing that we could do to you? And that's what we're going to do. And yet God used that very thing to accomplish his purpose, which was what? So that we could be saved. God wanted us to be saved. And for God to save us, he had to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come, to die, to be buried, and to rise again. You see that God doesn't need the cooperation of world leaders to accomplish his will. You know, God doesn't need the cooperation or technology or the cloud. God doesn't need the riches of the world in order to accomplish his will. This is the power of God. That God could use common laborers, common fishermen, uneducated. They don't know all the technical jargon and what all the religious leaders are talking about. All they did was they spent time with Jesus Christ and they spake the word of God with boldness. They thought that they could accomplish their will by crucifying the Lord. And yet that is exactly what God wanted to do. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, he died for us. And God can flip the purpose of the wicked in order to accomplish his will. 
sometimes we look at the problems of life and we look at all of the difficulties that we might have. And, and let's just be honest, there are some big difficulties that many of you might be facing. You might be facing some financial difficulties. There might be some relationship difficulties, all of these sorts of things. But, and you might think, oh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to really do what God wants me to do because look at all the problems around me. And God is saying, you know what's even greater than the biggest problem that you face in, in your life? It's my power. And I want to give you that power. And we are asking God for that power. So they prayed with passion. They prayed for power. But they also prayed with a purpose. What did they want God to do with his power? You can have the power, but what are you supposed to do with it? Well, we see that they prayed for changed lives. In verse number 30, the Bible says that they prayed. And it says, by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So they asked God to work with healings, signs, and wonders by the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we have to go back a little bit and just remember how this whole event in history, in the, in the history of the church, happened. Remember what happened? Peter and John, they're going to the temple area. Remember, they're going through the beautiful gate. Remember that they saw a man who was crippled from birth for 40 years? Remember what they said? In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he stands up and he walks. And the Bible says that after he was healed, the political leaders, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything to them because the Bible says that beholding the man, they could say nothing. See, if somebody's been crippled from birth for 40 years and suddenly by the power of God they are able to stand, what are you supposed to say about that? <laughs> what else could you say but, praise the Lord, he's walking. <laughs> oh, I, I, I might not like the name Jesus Christ. I might not like what they're saying, but what could I possibly say? This man is walking now. <laughs> he was crippled before and now he's walking. Now he doesn't have to think about, oh, tomorrow, I'm going to beg again tomorrow. I hope tomorrow will be a better day. Now he can think about, I could go live life. I could go walk and run and have fun and get a job and support a family and do all of these things. And this man's life was changed. And when the word of God works, it will change the lives of those that are saved. Those that were in darkness, now they are in light. Before they were enemies of God, now they are part of the family of God. Before they were servants of sin, now they are the servants of righteousness. You know, not everybody's going to agree with what we say and what we do. There will be people who will disagree with the Bible. There will be people who will disagree with our preaching. And there will be people who will disagree with our teaching. There'll be people who disagree with our standards. There'll be people who disagree with our songs. They don't like our songs. They don't like our events. They don't like our beliefs. But one thing that no one can disagree with is when lives are changed for the better. When lives are changed for the better, how could you disagree with that? Here's a man whose life is better. You, you, you're going to disagree with that? Of course not. There are people that won't like some of the things that we teach. They won't like the message of the gospel. They're not going to like when we say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Some people don't like that message. 
Some people don't like the message, you must trust in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Some people will not like the stand that we make for God made man and woman. They won't like that. They won't like our stand for marriage is between a man and a woman. They won't like our stand for uh, against abortion and that every life is precious in the eyes of God. They won't like our stand on families, that dads should raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, that husbands should love their wives even as Christ loved the church, that wives should submit themselves unto their own husbands as unto the Lord, that children should obey their parents in the Lord for this is right. They may not like our music, they might not like our dress standards, they might not like our events and how we do them and how we promote them and how we pass out invitations and how we go door knocking, but everyone likes lies that are changed for good. Everyone loves it when here was a man who used to be a drunk, used to be addicted to drugs, and now they got saved and now their life has changed. How could anybody be against that? Somebody who said, you know, I was living in sin and fulfilling the lust of the flesh and I was under bondage of sin, but when I got saved, God made me free. God gave me liberty and now I can freely serve the Lord instead of serving my sin and serving the flesh. Nobody could be against that. Nobody could be against somebody who said, you know, my whole life I was living in, in anxiety and fear and depression. But when I got saved, I realized that God loves me no matter what. And I'm always a part of the family of God and I have a home in heaven secure for all of eternity. There's no one that says, oh, I wish that there were more broken families. I wish that there were more uh, 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 destruction that is done in the families with the fathers and the, uh, and the mothers and the husbands and the wives and the parents and the children. There's nobody that says, I wish that there were more people that lived in violence. We know that the Bible says to love your enemies, to do good unto them that hate you, that persecute you, that dis and pray for them which despitefully use you. Everyone loves lives that are changed for good. Amen? Lost or saved, everybody loves that. This man was physically crippled. He couldn't stand on his own. He couldn't walk anywhere. He couldn't work a job. He couldn't support himself. He couldn't support a family. But now he's walking and leaping and praising God. What a change. Nobody could be against that. Everybody's going to say, well, I got nothing to say because I'm glad that whereas before he was crippled, now he can walk. In verse 21 of chapter 4, the Bible says, So when they have further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish him because of the people. For all men glorify God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. If someone was crippled and now by the power of God they are walking, how could you be against that? You can't be against that. Nobody is against that. And while most people are not physically crippled, we were all spiritually crippled. We were all in sin. We were all in bondage. But then someone preached the gospel to us. For those of you that are saved, somebody shared the word of God with you that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when people get saved and they trust in Christ as their Savior and they're born again into the family of God and the Holy Spirit moves inside of them, things begin to change. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
See, when you get saved, you become a new person in Christ. You have a new family, you have a new hope, you have a new future, you have a new purpose, and you have a new home, and things begin to change. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. You know what God is saying? This is sin. This is what sin looks like. This is what sinners are. And such were some of you. You know what he's saying? You used to be like that. You used to be the covetous. You used to be the thieves. You used to be the drunkards. You used to be the adulterers. You used to be the idolaters. You used to be the fornicators. But not anymore. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So when these believers, they come and they ask for healings and signs and wonders to be done, keep in mind the context is they just saw God perform a miracle and heal a man. You know what they're praying for? God, I want you to change another person's life. God, will you change somebody else? You know what we should pray to God for? We should pray for the power of God that God would change the lives of people. You know what's a great testimony? When we're able to say, you know what? I used to be a sinner. And while I'm not free from the body of flesh today, God saved me from my sin. And the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. For there's been a great change in my life. That's what people are looking for. When people come and they look at our church and they see, oh, here's somebody who used to be drunk. But then he got saved and he turned his life around by the power of God. Here is somebody who had all sorts of problems in his family, but now he loves his wife, even as Christ loved the church. And he's raising up his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. People would say, wow, well, I got nothing to say about that. I wish there would be more people like that, more people whose lives are changed like that. And that's the power of God in the life of believers. And so with that in mind, they then prayed for courage. The Bible says already that Peter and John, they were, they were bold. The Bible says they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. They marveled and they took knowledge of him that they had been with Jesus when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So here is somebody that is bold, Peter and John, that is bold. And you know what will quiet the critics? It is when somebody is saved and their life is changed. Because when God works, he changes people's lives and when lives are changed, people are bold. Because I want to have things that work in my life. Amen? I want my car to work. I want my phone to work. I want working things in my life. And so does everybody else. So when we give the gospel, people are wondering, does this really work? Is there really power in the gospel? And the answer is yes. There is great power in the gospel, but people need to see that. And I don't want to give people something that doesn't work. Amen? I don't want to tell people about something that's not going to make a difference in their life, that they're going to look around and say, well, the things I used to do, I still do them today. And the things I used to say, I still say them today. And the places I used to go, I still go there today. There's not been a great change in my life. But the gospel still works. It still saves souls. It still redeems them from sin. And when lives are changed by the gospel, people are filled with boldness. 
There's nothing more powerful than when you go soul winning with somebody, not to say that this has happened to me, but just a hypothetical situation. You go soul winning, maybe you and a, a brother in Christ, and you, you go out soul winning, and you're there, maybe you're at the door, maybe you're at the park, maybe you're just hanging out at a restaurant or at a coffee shop or just out and telling somebody about the Lord, and uh, you begin to pass them the gospel, and they, and they say, you know what, I don't, I don't like what you're saying, I don't, I don't like this, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you're just causing problems with everybody. There's nothing more powerful than to say, you know this brother here, you know, about 10 years ago, he used to be a drunk. You know, 10 years ago, he had no direction in his life, no purpose in his life. He didn't know what he was doing. He was destroying himself. He was destroying his family. He was destroying others and destroying the relationships that he had with his friends. And then somebody gave him the gospel and he got saved. And then ever since that day, he threw all of the, all of the alcohol and all the liquor down the drain. He threw it away and he changed his life around. Now he's loving his wife and he reconciled with his friends and he asked them for forgiveness. And, and now look at him. He's trying to tell others about what changed his life. What is somebody going to say about that? They can say, well, you should stop saying it. Well, it changed his life. You want us to stop saying that? We're not going to stop saying it because it worked. It changed his life. And that's going to give us great boldness. Now, maybe it's not alcohol, but maybe you used to have an anger problem. Maybe whenever things didn't go your way, you would just yell at the person or, or yell just out. And, and, and you used to be angry and used to hit people and all of these different sorts of things. And now God saved you and now you love them. And now God has given you control over your anger. And now you speak to them with a peaceful, loving voice. Maybe you used to be bitter and complain all the time. Bitter about things that happened to you in the past. Bitter about what somebody said to you. Bitter about what somebody did to you. Bitter about the circumstances in your life. And yet now after you got saved, now you're rejoicing every day because you didn't deserve it, but you're on your way to heaven. And you have your sins to be forgiven. And now you're just loving life because every single day you know is a gift from God. And, and you're rejoicing. Maybe you used to be greedy and covetous and all you could think about was what somebody else had and what somebody else had more than you and how you wanted to do that. And now, instead of thinking about all that you could get, now you're thinking about all you could give. And you want to give to missions. You want to give to somebody else. You want to help a brother uh, who's uh, uh, in, in trouble. Maybe you used to be watching pornography all the time and all of the things on the internet, watching it all the time and consuming it in the lust of your mind, just thinking about it every day, watching it all the time, and it was destroying your mind and destroying your relationships, but now you're free from that. That'll give you great boldness to say, you know what, I used to be in bondage, but now I'm free, and I want to tell people about it. Lives are changed, and it gave them great courage so that they might be able to preach the gospel to others. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Here is the believers. What they prayed for was this. God, you see what they're saying and what they're doing? God, we don't want to stop preaching the gospel. We want to see souls to be saved. God, give us boldness. Give us boldness by working on our behalf. So that's what we could do. We could say, God, you see how the culture is against us. You could see how others are opposed to the church and the message of the gospel. But God, we still want to see souls to be saved. God, we still want to preach the gospel. God, give us boldness. How can we be bold? When God works on our behalf. God, work in us. God, work on our behalf so that we might be bold, so that we might see people to be saved despite all of the problems that we are facing.